Genesis 46 through 47. That's kind of a summation of the text that we're talking about today because we're talking about faith. And we're going to see uh, another episode in the life of Joseph, but this one is more aimed at his dad, Jacob, and how he learned to truly walk by faith. Now, the scripture says that we are to walk by faith, not by sight, right? Right? Okay, so I'm going to do a little illustration today. I need a volunteer for that. Actually, Franklin, come on up here, Franklin. I'm going to have Franklin. He's a, it's not a volunteer if you call you, but so I'm forcing you. This is the church draft. You're being called into service, brother. All right, Franklin, come up here. Say hi to everybody. Hi. Hey, everybody. Okay, now I'm going to put this blindfold on you. Okay, and uh, can you see anything? No. Are you sure? Tell the truth now. I'm a pastor. Okay, you're in church. All right, so now... Franklin, uh, we're going to talk about what it means to walk by faith. So I'm going I'm to do some stuff to you because God's going to take us in all kinds of different directions in life, right? And uh, sometimes we don't know what's going on. Now, Franklin, I want you to walk back to your seat right now. <laughs> okay, that's good before we have to take you to mercy. Okay, now... Um, it's hard to do, right? What happens? It's hard to find your way, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, I want you to listen to my voice, and only listen to my voice, okay? okay? So I want you to slowly step forward, okay? Slowly, slowly, slowly. Wait, wait, wait. Stop. Okay. Put, you got, a, foot, you got a, a step. Now, slowly put your foot down, okay? All right? Get your balance there, and you got one more step. Slowly. Okay. I'm here. Another step right there. One more to go. One more to go, and you're going to be on the ground. There you go. Now keep following me. Keep following me. Just follow my voice. I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you trip. I promise. Okay, you're going to be just fine. Okay, we're going to slowly kind of turn. Okay, stop. Stop. Okay, now slowly step forward. Slowly. Okay, hold on. Just follow my voice. Where's my voice at? Okay, there you go. Keep walking. Keep walking. Take another step. There's nothing in front of you. Just walk. You look like Frankenstein, though. All right. <laughs> Okay, keep walking slowly. Just follow my voice. And I'm not going to let you go into any danger. I'm not going to let you gonna hurt yourself. I'm going to make sure. Now, I want you to step to your, just follow my voice, take a step to your left. Okay, now I'm going to turn, don't move yet. I'm going to step on your left-hand side. And I want you to step, not, not at me. Okay, step facing, you're facing, your left foot is facing forward. I want you to step that direction. Okay, step again. Okay, and you need to slide over just like three inches. Slide over just a little bit. No, to your other way. You're right. Okay, now step forward a little bit. Okay, step forward a little bit more. Okay, now turn to where I'm at. Okay, now you can slide back. Just slide back. Like shuffle your feet. There's your chair. You feel that chair with your left foot? You can, now you can now sit down. You can sit. There he is. Thank you, Franklin, for being such a good sport. Now, what's the point? Why do I do that? I do that because when Franklin just had this over his eyes and I didn't give him direction, how did he move? Slowly, feeling his way. And what was, where was he headed? Yeah, danger. <laughs> you were headed to danger, Franklin. <laughs> you were going to go take a nosedive right off the side of this. But when you listen to my voice, you're okay, right? See, God says, if you listen to my voice, it's going to be difficult. Wasn't easy, was it? But I led you to a safe place. When we listen to God, we're learning to walk by faith, not by sight. We want to walk by sight. But God says, walk by faith. Trust me. 
It's going to be hard. It's going to be tedious at times, but I'm going to take you to a safe place. As Christians, we have this tendency. We want to be in control. We want to know where we're going. We want to know how the details of our life are going to to come out. But God says, trust in me. Follow me. I'm going to take you to places that you might not otherwise go, but I'm going to take you there safely, and I've got a reason and a purpose for directing like that in your life. That's what we're going to see today. We're going to examine the life of Jacob and see that God is speaking to him. And God is directing him, and it takes faith to do what he's about to do because he is going to go back and see his son that he hasn't seen in 20 years that he thought was dead. And we're going to see that it's a tremendous step of faith for him to do so. He's leaving everything that he knew behind, as we're going to see in just a moment. But we see that God's directing him and telling him to walk by faith. What is God calling you to do? How is he calling you to walk by faith right now? What's he calling you to do? What's he saying to you right now? Trust in me. Could be in your finances. Could be in your marriage. Could be in your education. Could be in your career. Could be in in something that he is calling you to do. You say, I think I'm sensing God do this, but I just can't, I don't know if I can do that. Maybe God's calling you to, to leave this whole area and move someplace else to share the gospel with someone from a different language or culture or background. Maybe he's calling you to sell everything that you got. It sounds crazy, but he's calling you to do it. Or maybe he's calling you to give in a way you've never given before, to trust in him to do that. What is God calling you to do? It's not going to be easy, but he's going to call us all to walk by faith. So today we're going to see what walking by faith looks like as we examine this episode from the life of Joseph, specifically starring God, but Jacob is the co-star. And we're going to see how God worked in Jacob's life and how he can work and will work in ours as well. So before we go any further, let's ask God's Spirit to come to speak to us as we open the Word of God and study it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you knowing that you alone are God and we are not. Lord, we confess our sins before you where we just want to trust in you with our own comforts, where we want to see every step of the way, and we've oftentimes been disobedient because of sin or laziness or fear. The Lord, give us the courage to see, believe, and obey. Direct us, not just as individuals, but as a church, in such a way, Lord, that your name might reverberate from this place and just go to the farthest reaches of the earth to people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Touch us, use us, speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump right back in. Let's jump right into our text in Genesis chapter 46. In verse 1, as God is speaking, and again, remember the famine is on in the land. He's, uh, it's gotten worse. We're the point where the Israelites have no food. And J- Joseph had just revealed himself to his brothers And then he sends them back with a whole caravan of chariots and wagons to bring his father to him in Egypt. And Jacob has just heard that Joseph is alive, and he decides to go back, but he's fearful. He's fearful because he doesn't know exactly what he's supposed to do and when he's supposed to do it or if this is what God is really calling him to do because going to Egypt was a scary thing. Why was going to Egypt a scary thing for Jacob? Well, if we know a little bit of his family history, 
we find out why. First of all, his father, his grandfather, Abraham, had a very difficult time in Egypt. Uh, he'd been kind of caught up in a scandal where he'd lied, and his wife had ended up being a part of the court of Pharaoh for a brief period of time. Didn't go well. Pharaoh sent him out of there because he found out God revealed himself in a dream to Pharaoh to say that, that the woman you have in your harem, I know you haven't engaged or have any intimate uh, relations with her yet, but uh, that's another man's wife. And so he finds that out and sends him out of there. And then Isaac, his, his father, Abraham's son, Jacob's father, is forbidden by God in Genesis chapter 26 to ever go into Egypt. Egypt was the, the world empire at the time, the world power, the big kid on the block. And it meant, in many ways, compromise. So all of these thoughts of fear are entering into Jacob's mind. Do I go into Egypt? But wait, there's another part of it. Was Egypt the promised land? Canaan was. So why would God call him to leave the promised land that he'd already promised to go to this foreign land that his father had been forbidden to be, his grandfather didn't have a good experience in, and now his son Joseph, he hears us in charge there. He's, this is, it's a lot of fear enters his mind. Am I forsaking the covenant? Am I leaving the heritage of my fathers? Am I leaving that legacy behind? What do I do? But we see one thing is consistent about him. He knew that what was before him, he needed to respond to. And we see that walking by faith, here's the first thing, a part part of it. It means that it means, uh, excuse me, it means to respond obediently. Walking by faith requires us to respond obediently to what God has for us. See, God is concerned about our obedience. He's not concerned about our sacrifices. He's not concerned about, I mean, how generous we are. He wants us to be obedient because sometimes people try to offset their disobedience by some area where they can give. For example, they'll say, I'll cheat on my wife, but I'll give a million dollars to the church. God could care less about the million dollars. He cares about the obedience. It's about the obedience. God wants us to respond obediently. Walking by faith means that I'm going to take a step that I don't always know how it's going to go. We have to respond obediently because God is going to take us through some very difficult and dire times in order to increase his glory in our lives and our dependence upon him. Because the more that we know God, we're depending upon him, the more that his name receives glory in our lives and people see Jesus in us and want to know who Jesus is. That's what we have to understand. We have to respond obediently. When God calls us to do something, we're to respond obediently. It's like the story, and I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this or not, but uh, Arabian horses go through this rigorous training in the deserts of the Middle East. The trainers require absolute obedience from these horses and test them to see if they are completely trained. The final test is almost beyond the endurance of any living thing. See, what they do is the trainers force the horses to do without water for many days. And then he turns them loose. And of course, they start running to where? The water. They start running to the water. And just as they get to the edge, right before that they get ready to drink, he blows his whistle to see if they come back. Those who are perfectly trained and have perfect obedience will stop, come back, and stand before the trainer, shaking, ready to collapse, but ready to trust. And that's when he knows that the horse is perfectly trained, and then he releases the horse to go drink water. Now, that might seem pretty difficult, pretty severe to us, but when you're on a trackless, when you're in the middle of, a, of the desert, there's no water around, and your life is entrusted to a horse, you had better have a trained, obedient horse. 
See, we must accept God's training and obey him. See, God's calling us to be obedient to what he has called us to do. Now, what does this obedience look like? Let's look at verse 46, actually, chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Beersheba is fascinating. Because it plays something historically that we don't otherwise or usually know. It had a, a tremendous presence in his, the, his family's life. For example, his grandfather, Abraham, had made a covenant with King Abimelech there, and he had called on the name of the everlasting God while he was in Beersheba. But it's also where his father Isaac had gone, and God had spoken to him, saying that the covenant that he made with his father, Abraham, would now pass on and go through his son, I, or go through Isaac. And so those stories were related then to Jacob. And Jacob even had had an experience at Beersheba, just outside of Beersheba is where he had his dream of the stairway to heaven where angels were going back and forth. So Beersheba was a holy city in his mind. And he goes to Beersheba to meet with God to see if this is what God really wants him to do to go into Egypt. And what, what does that show for us? I mean, we're to respond obediently, yes. But we see that responding obediently means or requires us to turn to God for guidance. Where do you turn for guidance in your life when you're facing a decision? Where do you go? Do you go to the Lord in prayer? Do you go to his word? Or do you just flip through the pages and point down? Because really, that's no different than just rolling the dice. Some of us have that Russian roulette and we think it's a spiritual thing because the Bible's the thing that we're pointing to, but that's not true. We need to be able to know his word, to seek godly counsel, to seek him in prayer, and God will reveal himself to us. We can't rely on intercessors or, uh, I mean, we, we do have people praying for us, but we can't go to like spirit doctors or, uh, uh, Lord help us, uh, tarot card readers or that kind of thing. But people do it all the time. Christians think that that's okay. No, it's not. It's demonic. But other times we don't go to stuff like that. We might turn to another family member still before we talk to God. We even might even talk to a pastor before we've talked to God. But see, we must engage God first to turn to the Lord. Because even when a circumstance might seem right on the surface, doesn't mean it's what God has. For example, how many of you know the story of the Gibeonites? Anybody here know the story of the Gibeonites? Man, you guys need to be better Bible students. But in Joshua chapter 9, we learn about the Gibeonites. Now, the Gibeonites were a people that are living in Canaan, the promised land, as the Israelites are coming in to conquer the, com- the promised land. And they knew, they'd heard the stories about these other people groups that are being eradicated because of their sin. And God was inflicting his judgment through the nation of Israel and removing them from the land. In other words, he's the judge, but they're the hammer. And they're to destroy every people group that's there. And so the Gibeonites heard about it, so they come up with this plan, genius plan. They said, you know what? Maybe we can get them to make a covenant of peace with us. And the other guys are sitting around going, there's no way that they're going to make a covenant of peace with us. He goes, but if we say that we're not from this area, maybe they will. Well, how are we going to do that? Here's my plan. How about you get some of your old clothes, get your sandals that have the holes in them, get the old wine skids, get some old moldy bread. Let's wear out the horses a bit, get all sweaty and dirty, and then we'll walk over there and pretend that we just came from a faraway journey. They're gonna buy, they might buy that. I say, hey, that's okay, let's try it. So they come over. They got, everything's all old now. They come to the Israelites and they said, we've heard about you and what God's done through you. We want to make a covenant of peace with you so you won't destroy us. And they say, hey, not so fast. Uh, maybe you're not from this, or maybe you're from this area. Maybe you're trying to con us. How do we know that you're not trying to con us? They said, look at our stuff. Look at my sandals. For crying out loud, look how bad these sandals are. 
I mean, check out my wineskin. It's all beat up. It was brand new when I left. And this bread, bleh, it was nice and hot just out of the oven right before we left. Now, this stuff is old, crusty, and moldy. They're like, eh, okay. You know what's fascinating? Is in Joshua chapter 9, verse 14, the scripture says this. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask for counsel from the Lord. In other words, it looked great, sounded great, made sense in their mind, but they didn't see God. See, God, there's going to be situations that we face in life from on the surface that seem like it's the right decision, but we don't bring God into it. God's saying, no matter what decision you're facing right now, ask me about it. If you're considering your career, if you're considering a mate, some of us say we don't want to talk to God because we're afraid of what he's going to say. He's going to say no because he knows better. It's like one of my children coming to me after, you know, if they had Halloween candy. Can I have another piece of candy, Dad? Well, let's see. You've already had 10. What happens if you eat one more? It's going to be Revenge of the Starburst is what it's going to be. And there's going to be a multiple rainbow of Skittles on my floor because I'm cleaning it up. So I know better. So the kids, they don't want to ask, so they try to steal the candy. That's how we are. We're just like kids. We say, God, I know better. And God's saying, I know better. Trust me. Listen to my voice. Do what I have you to say. I mean, I want you to do. Turn to me for guidance. So he turns to the Lord for guidance. That's what walking by faith looks like. Look at verse 2. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, why would he say do not be afraid unless he was afraid? He was afraid. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. See, God comforts Jacob and calms his fears. God has a way of doing things when we call on him. And once he speaks to us, he asks us to trust in his process. It may not make sense on the surface, but he says, trust in my process. Trust in the process that I'm taking you through right now. Trust it. doesn't make sense. And he does that time and time again throughout the scriptures. He says to Moses, trust in me. I want you to go before Pharaoh, and I want you to take this staff with you. Trust in what I'm going to do through you. I want you to lead the people. Matter of fact, I want you to walk up to the Red Sea. And as the people are there, he says, trust me, I got it. And the Red Sea parts. He says that time and time again throughout the scriptures, he calls his servants to trust in him. He He asked again Moses to trust in him when he was in the desert and when he stands before Pharaoh. He asked Abraham to trust in him when he called Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. Trust the process. He calls for Elijah to trust him during the famine in Israel when everyone had seemingly had been given over to apostasy. Trust my process, Elijah. He calls Jonah to trust in him when he calls him to deliver a message of divine judgment to the hated Ninevites. Trust the process, Jonah. I'm doing something you don't understand. He calls for Hosea to trust in the process when he tells him to marry a prostitute named Gomer. He calls for Mary and Joseph to trust in him when there was an unexpected pregnancy. He calls for Peter to trust in his process when Jesus says that he came to die. God wants us to trust in his process, his way of doing things. As we see in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
Let's look at verse 3 of chapter 46. Then he said, I am the God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. Notice things that God promises him. I will make you into a great nation. I will go with you. I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. He gives him precious promises. See, walking by faith means to learn to treasure those promises. That's what it means to do. If we're to walk by faith, we have to treasure the promises of God. Now, there are two types of promises. Those are revealed within his word are the general promises to God that are available to God's people. But then sometimes he gives us specific promises to our lives. General promises. And there are some magnificent general promises that we will have our sins forgiven. God will not count them against us at the end of time. That he will be with us always that he will glorify our name, that one day that he is going to prepare a place for us and one day that we will be with him and we will be with others in the worship and celebration of his name, that we will be partakers of the divine nature. Think about that. Partakers of the very nature of God. And one day we shall see him for we shall be like him. Now we see as through a mirror darkly, but then we will see face to face window darkly. Now we'll see, then we'll see face to face. All that will be removed. We'll be able to be with Almighty God. Those are precious promises. He promises to come again and judge wickedness and reward righteousness. He promises that every sin will be judged. That's a scary warning. Everything will be made known. It will be proclaimed on the rooftops. He promises these things, these general promises. But sometimes he gives us specific promises. And these are the promises that we need to test time and time again against the word of God. I've had promises in my life given to me. Once when I was at an all-night prayer meeting in my church in Massachusetts, there was a man there who didn't speak English. He was just Portuguese. All he spoke Portuguese. And he's, he's uh, prophesying over my life. He's telling me what I was going to do. And it was funny. It was actually kind of funny because he's telling me these things in my life. And my friend, who's Portuguese and also speaks English, I'm saying, what's he saying now? What's he saying now? And finally, I lean over and go, what's he saying now? He goes, I don't know. He's speaking in tongues. <laughs> I couldn't figure that out. Anyway, um, but one thing he said that I, I, I felt like I already knew, he said, God's going to use you to help revive churches. I said, I can take that. That's what God's done in my life. But then when I came here, God gave me a promise. I don't think I've ever shared that actually gave me two promises since I've been here as a pastor. One came very, very, uh, I was praying, and it was early on when I was here, and I, and I was struggling with some ministry things that were going on. And I said to the Lord, you know, Lord, just show me what you want me to do. And he kept bringing a number to my, my mind, and it was like 500, 500, 500. And so I said, okay, it, it concluded this guy was going to bring 500 people here. I don't know when that's going to happen. I believe he's going to do that. Who knows? I don't try to guess it. I just know someday 500 people. It could be for a party. Who I know. I don't know. And I remember going into our staff meeting. And I said, God really spoke to me today. And everybody's ears perked up. I said, so one day God said, we're going to have 500 people. And they're all like, yeah. And I said, and he said, we're not ready yet. And they went, oh. But it's exactly what he said. They said, we weren't, weren't, weren't ready. But that was years ago. And maybe we're ready now. I don't know. And I have to test those. Could I be wrong? Yes. But I sense that was the presence of God speaking to me in that moment in time. And he gave me another promise from the book of Chronicles where it said just as David had all of these men come from miles around to form this great army, that God would bring people here to form a great army for God that would influence not just this area but the whole world. I believe that God still, I, I believe that promise. Now again, I have to test that. Could I be wrong? Yeah. Could I have missed it? Sure. 
But I believe that God showed those promises to me. I mean, he makes promises to us in our lives. We always have to test them to see if they're from God. Has God made you a promise? What's the promise he's made you? What's he directed you to do, to be? What's he showing you? What step of faith does he want you to take? I think many of us are just sitting on the bench. The reason we're not seeing great things happening in our lives often is because we don't take great steps of faith. Now, there is a difference between faith and foolishness. There is that step. And sometimes it's hard to see. But we have to take that step and sometimes leave the results up to the Lord ultimately. What's that step of faith that God wants you to take? How does he want you to get off the bench? What's he calling you to do? We need to understand that walking by faith means obeying, responding obediently, turning to him for guidance, trusting his process, and then treasure his promises. Now, I'm going to go through these points rather quickly, but he also, we can also see that walking by faith means loving intensely. Notice what happens. Jacob takes his entire family down to Egypt. Then he, uh, Joseph finds out because his brother Judah had showed up and said, Dad's here. So he, he prepares his chariot. He goes and sees his father, and it says, He fell on his neck and he wept a long while. Why? Because of the depth of the love that he had for his father. The emotion just came out. It flooded. Joseph was a very emotional guy because he cared so much. Emotion, some people are just more naturally emotional, but some, just the circumstance, brings out that emotion because of how deeply they care for something. Joseph cared, and you can see that he loved intensely by the pain he felt. And you can see how you love by the, what causes you pain, the pain we feel. If someone loves you, and that pain can really hurt because you love them so much. And that pain, Joseph that pain really motivated him to show love. And not just the pain that he felt, but the plans that he made. And it's the plans that we make. He made plans to take care of his entire family. He had all these plans in place. He, had, he told, instructed his family on how they were to talk to Pharaoh. He was taking five of his brothers, and then he was going to take his dad in the presence of Pharaoh. He was planning. He had it all planned out. When you are loving someone intensely, then you're going to plan for their blessing, not to bring them down. So we see that it's the pain we feel, the plans that we make, but also the people that we help. And he goes and he says, I'm going to take care of you. No matter what you, my brothers have done to me, no matter how much you've hurt me in my life, and the, and the scars and the anguish that I've had to go through, and I've been in counseling. I was in counseling in prison for seven years. <laughs> I had to learn to interact with God and, and give all that up to him. And so... We see it's by the people that we need to help. We, and that's how we love. Who, are, who do you feel, feel pain for? What plans are you making for others? And who are the people that you're trying to help right now? That shows your love. And we're to be known by our love. As the song says, they'll know that we are Christians by our love. It's not, so we have the people that we, uh, the, the pain we feel, the plans we make, and the people we help. Now, this last point, is one that's a little bit different. Have you ever asked the question, remember when they were coming to Israel, coming to Egypt, where were they to live? What city? Goshen, right? Why Goshen? We just take the story and kind of take it at face value and we don't understand why Goshen. Goshen was close to the capital of Memphis, which is where Joseph was working. It also had a lot of pasture lands because they were, by occupation, shepherds, right? But that's not the only reason. Joseph knew that 
that they would have a tendency to want to compromise their faith and bring their God, and the Egyptians wanted to bring their God into the pantheon of Egyptian gods and make him just one of their gods. But the people of God were to be very different and distinct. So he keeps them separate so to preserve their identity as God's people. It's a lesson for us that if we're to walk by faith, we need to learn how to live differently. Live differently than the world around us. That's what the, he was saying, is that when you go before Pharaoh, this is what you're to say, because we don't want you brought in. I don't want you brought in. Tell them that you're a shepherd. That will help move them away from you. They won't want to live around you because shepherds, for some reason, are an abomination to an Egyptian. So tell them that. They'll keep and allow you to live distinctly, and they won't assimilate you into the culture, and we can keep our identity as God's people, and then go back one day to take the promised land again. Is That's what we read, that Joseph, at the end of his life, asked for his bones to be taken back to Canaan because he knew that that promise would be fulfilled. He knew and foresaw the exodus, that God showed him that there would be an exodus one day, that we're to live differently than the world around us. We have different values, different aspirations, different investments in how we give our time, how we sacrifice ourselves, what we value. And that's hard. By the way, I'm a parent of a teenager and kids. And so when they go to school, they see their friends, what they get for Christmas and look at, I, hey, my friend gets to go to this. My friend gets to go to that. My friend gets to go to that. And why don't we do that? Because we're investing our money in other things. I love you, but I'm investing in God's kingdom. We'll do the best that we can with what we have. That's hard. As a parent, you want to give the kids your best. You don't want them to feel, you know what that's like to feel that way on your own. But the investment that we have, we have different priorities than they do. My priority is not to get my, my, my son or daughter into a professional sport. That'd be okay. It's fine. But my goal is to get them to see them to step into glory one day above everything else. So our values are going to be different, and it's going to cause frustration in our families and issues. We have to be aware of that. We have to live differently than the world around us, and that's not easy. How do we live differently? And I'm going to go through these rather quickly. First of all, we have to heed God's warnings. God warns the Israelites time and time again, don't compromise your faith with those religions around you. Molech, Baal, Asherah. And the nation of Israel had a tendency to do that. We have to understand we're to live separately than the world around us. That we have to guard ourselves against sin. And it doesn't always come as outright sin. It usually comes as something funny and pleasurable that those around us really enjoy doing. And we seem like an outsider by not wanting to participate in it. And we're just like a killjoy. But God calls us to be different. And that's not easy to do. We have to heed God's warning. Secondly, we have to make sure that we are honoring those around us, even those in positions of authority that might be pagans. Even if it's an election result, we do not like. in case anyone's wanting to pick up the first stone. But seriously, think about it. Jacob comes into the presence of the pagan Pharaoh who is considered to be a god. And I don't know about you, I've never, had to, I've never stood anybody that really seriously thought they were a god. But he thought he was. And yet Jacob does what? Blesses him. He blesses Pharaoh. It's pretty incredible. Matter of fact, in the book of Peter... The scripture says that we're to honor those in authority, even honor the emperor who was at the time killing Christians. To honor that position. If we're going to be different in this world, we have a tendency to cut ourselves off. But the idea is, is we're still engaged. Yes, we live distinctly, but they're close enough that they could interact in Memphis from Goshen. They could interact with the people, but they still kept their identity. They have to keep that distance. But yet when they were engaged with those powers that be, they were to honor them. And that's what we're to do as well. We're to honor them. That's what walking by faith looks like. 
and we're to help those around us. Notice what Jacob did. Not ja- yeah, Joseph, excuse me, what Joseph did. Joseph still was doing his job really well, even though he was working for a pagan king. Even when you're in this world, you might say, my boss is the worst person I could possibly imagine. He's a prejudiced jerk. But you're to still do your job well. That's what God calls you to do. And Joseph did his job really well. Even though, I mean, he, he did it really well. And not only that, he helped the people around him. And, and they were still unbelievers. They're all pagans. And he's like, I'm going to help them too. Hey, come and get food. You don't have any, here, bring your money. You don't have any money, bring your livestock. You don't have any livestock, bring your land. But I'm still going to help you. I'm going to help you. It's going to cost, but I'm going to help you. So we have to help those around us. If we're to live differently, we have to be known by helping other people. And lastly, we have to put our hope in the world to come. Hope in the world to come. That's what living differently means. Look at verse 27 of chapter 47. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. That, to an Israelite in many ways, is very depressing because that meant that they weren't in the promised land. And they gained possession in, possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. He was already an old man when he came. He was 130 But he lived to be 147 years old. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. That's a very interesting expression. It's actually a euphemism for his genitals. Uh, He was placing his hand here under his thigh, and that sounds pretty disgusting to those of us in the Western world. But what he was saying is, I want you to swear on my descendants that you're going to do what you say. It was, it was, that was not uncommon in the ancient world. And so he's saying that I want you to swear to me upon my descendants that this isn't the end of it. Egypt is not the home. That we have the land of Canaan and ultimately actually a heavenly kingdom. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 11 says it this way. Says, and we read today from Hebrews 21, 22 about Joseph or Jacob at the end of his life. And it actually... Um, Verse 31, and he said, swear to me, and he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed, and the Hebrew says that he worshiped. And later on down in Hebrews, in verse 39, it says this, out of all the people in faith, and Jacob and Joseph are both men of faith that are mentioned in that passage. And it says, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. In other words, they didn't get to go into the promised land and have it as their own. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, there's something that's beyond that they put their hope in. It wasn't just a promised land, but it's a heavenly world for us. Our hope is not here. The reason that so many people were angry and are angry at the election results, and I've never seen such vitriol and hatred and frustration, and it might be because it's just in social media and it's everywhere, where it has not been in past generations, but I, I think it's because, and I've seen it in, in whatever campaign you're talking about, is people are putting their hope more in politics and in government than they are in the Savior of the world. And the reason that they're, they're, people are afraid, they're afraid. They're afraid that their lifestyle will be questioned or what, they're gonna, what they value. It's true because they've put their value and put their hope in that system rather than in, in God. Because nature abhors a vacuum. If you abandon God, you're going to put your faith in something else. So we have to make sure that we put our hope in the world to come. If we're to really live differently, we have to understand that this world is not our home. This is not where our citizenship lives. This is not our kingdom. Trump is not our king. Praise the Lord. But neither is Obama or Clinton. Our king is Jesus. 
That's where our citizenship lies. That's where our hope is. It's not in what this world gets, not in the favors of our friends and family. It's not in the favors or the social esteem that we get or the social capital we get from our friends and neighbors or the accolades that we have. It's in the world to come and the promises that God has made that we have something better than this world. And that means walking by faith now, understanding that my world is not going to always make sense, that it's going to be hard. People are going to say that I'm crazy. But I have to listen to the voice of God, not the voice of anyone else. Because the voice of God is going to take me and deliver me safely home. Amen? That's where our hope is. Our hope is in Christ. That can't be taken away. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for how you worked in our lives. Thank you how you're speaking in our church. Thank you for how you're working in the lives of so many different people here at our church. Lord, may we be encouraged by that. And Lord, yet I know that some are encouraged, but there's others that are feeling very discouraged, feeling that they're not adequate, that they're not enough, that they feel like they are failures. Lord, let them know that you are near and that you are speaking and you're calling them to trust in you in the middle of that dark place. And Lord, that your voice will guide us and give us a safe passage. So Lord, speak to us, grow us, do a work here in this church that only you can do. We pray your blessing upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.